We conclude a series today, a series that, in my opinion, for me, is the most impactful series I've ever got to be a part of. It's called The Unsaved Christian, uh, words that don't make sense when you put them together, but that's the whole context of the series. If you're, if you're new or you missed some of these messages, I cannot encourage you enough to go back on YouTube or listen to them on iTunes or whatever. It, 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 this is a game changer. But, but let me set the context for today, just in case you are new, it'll give you some foundation of what we've, what we've been talking about. I want to, I wanna, let, let's, let's go where we started in week one. In week one, I came out and I shared a stat with you. And what I said to you was, 70% of Americans would say, I'm a Christian. But the reality is, if you were to ask those 70%, or really anybody in America, what's your definition of a Christian, you would probably get a lot of different answers. So in this series, we're not looking for like what we think it is to be a Christian. We're looking at, God, what do you, what do you say it is? And Jesus made these crazy statements that we, we formed the whole series over. He's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 7, he says some crazy stuff like, like most people are, are going to go to hell. That's what Jesus said. Uh, and then he also said that a lot of people that think they're doing great things and they, they believed in me, they still missed it. And we're like, oh my gosh, how? How is this possible? I thought we just had to believe in Jesus and we're good to go. But there must be something else to it. Not because I'm saying it, because Jesus said it. So, so we, we defined it as a, um, not just an unsaved Christian, but a cultural Christian. See, 70% is the majority. So what, what the stats say is the, major, or the largest religion in America is Christianity. I don't believe that's true. I don't believe it's true. I think the largest religion in America is cultural Christianity. Wait, pastor, what do you mean? What, what's a cultural Christian? Great question. A cultural Christian is someone who, they, they believe in Jesus. They, um, they grew up learning about Jesus, maybe. They maybe grew up in the church. They, uh, they've, been, they've been baptized, probably. Maybe they've been confirmed. Maybe, they, like me, they grew up Catholic, and they went to CCD, Right? I, don't even, I still don't know what that stands for, but I was there on Wednesdays, and I was doing it. So that, it describes many of, it, it's, it's many people in the church right now, as I pray, are, are cultural Christians. Um, <laughs> many are decorating for Christmas right now. Many are putting up lights right now. Many are putting up a tree right now. Many are putting nativity scenes in their yard right now. By the way, you know what I'm going to say. I have to say it every time I bring up a nativity scene. The wise men don't belong there. I'm just going to tell you, be biblical, be accurate. They're, they didn't show up at the birth of Jesus. You're going to get that in the, in the, in the next series, coming, or the, the Gifts of Christmas series. I'll show you that. But in the meantime, if you have those in your nativity scene, just throw it away because it's not biblical. So um, I feel better. Uh, a cultural Christian admires Jesus. Again, they believe in Jesus. I'll, I'll come right out the gate and tell you the difference. A cultural Christian has not surrendered to Jesus. There's the difference. Now, we're going to unpack something crazy today, and I hope you're ready to buckle in because it's going to get wild. I'm going to teach on a, on, a, on a piece of scripture. It's Jesus speaking. I, I'm a little bit embarrassed that I've never even taught him this before. I've never heard any pastor preach on it, so, um, and you'll see why when I start preaching on it. But uh, to set it up, let me ask you a question. Have you ever known somebody, and you, you, you thought you knew them really well, and all of a sudden, one day, they, they do something that's just completely out of character? Like, I mean, it's like they forgot their bipolar medication. Like, they're acting completely insane. I wonder how many of you are thinking about an ex right now. Anyway, so, uh, but there, I had this happen. I 
worked at a manufacturing plant when I was uh, in college for the summers. I'd go back home to a small town, Salem, South Dakota, and uh, I'd work at a, uh, uh, it's grunt labor is what it was. Me and some other guys would, would wash uh, farm machinery like augers and undercarriage to get it ready to be painted. And Leroy was a, a guy that worked with me. He was about my age. I didn't know him, though, because he wasn't from the same small town I was from. But Leroy was very mild-mannered, very cool to work with, very easy to work with. Him and I would scrub undercarriage and augers together, and it was, it was crazy. The stuff we'd scrub it with would drip on our shoes and put holes in our shoes, okay? Now, if there was an ocean inspector, he was locked up in a closet somewhere because he was not walking around making rounds. I'll tell you that right now. So, but Leroy, I'd even try to get Leroy riled up. I'd spit sunflower seeds on his shoes just to mess with him, but he never, he never, you know, he was just really mild-mannered, kind of a funny sense of humor. One day, Leroy asked me if I wanted to hang out outside of work and if I wanted to hang out on a Saturday morning. This is crazy. And I said, yeah, why not? You know, you seem like a decent enough guy. So he picks me up in his vehicle. Like, I, I don't, it was like a, a Bronco with the top cut off, total hillbilly. Anyway, so it was already going downhill. So I get in his vehicle, and we go out on some country roads, and we're just driving around talking. And Leroy starts, like, getting kind of upset. Like, he starts venting, and he's venting about work and about coworkers. And I'm over there thinking, you're not mad at me, are you, Leroy? Because, I mean, I was, I, I'll, I'll stop chewing seeds right now, I promise. So he's getting mad, and as he's getting mad and talking about stuff, he's speeding up the vehicle. Like, he's driving fast. We went from 30 to 40. Gravel roads, 50. And I'm, like, getting a little tense here. And Leroy, then he does this. And this is where it got real bad. He reaches under his seat and grabs a warm beer. It's before 10 in the morning. Cracks the beer and starts guzzling it. And I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, this is it. It's over. It is done. So, and he keeps going off on stuff about work, and he's all mad. And I'm thinking, I'm about ready to take a beer, Leroy. I mean, I'm getting nervous here, too. I I know it's not 10 a.m., but so, so Leroy's completely going crazy. Here's what happens. He turns a corner. The vehicle goes in the ditch, a steep ditch. It's wet. It had rained, so it was really wet out. Couldn't get out. And we're about a mile from Salem, uh, from our town. So we're in this ditch. And I said, Leroy, I, you know, he's out of control. I'm like, I'm going to go get help. So, so I'll, I'll run through the field. I've run 10 miles. I don't care. I'll run through the field, and I'll get help. And you just wait here, okay, with your beer. So I run through the field of my house. And you guys, I never ran so fast in my life. I bet I broke a four-minute mile. So I was running to get really away from Leroy. I get home, and I call a friend, and I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, you're not going to believe it. Me and Leroy, vehicle, beer, a ditch. My buddy's like, are you having a heart attack? I'm like, yes, I am. So I told him what was going on, and I said, are we going to help him? And he said, that dude sounds crazy. I said, I know. So we didn't do anything. We just left him there. So anyway, the story goes on from there, but I won't bore you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was, so Leroy snapped out of character. Jesus, it's like the same thing happens. Jesus is speaking in, in, in oh, I, did I even write the scripture down? Put it up on the screen so I even know what I'm preaching out of here. Gosh, I'm terrible. Oh, What? Thank you, Luke 14. You should get up here and preach. So in Luke 14, this is what Jesus says. Yeah, leave it right there. That's perfect. So a large crowd is following Jesus. That is not uncommon. You read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see this all over the place. People hovered over him. He's doing great things. He's feeding a lot of people. He's healing a lot of people. So a large crowd is following Jesus. He turns around and says to them, if you want to be my disciple, and just leave the screen here, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Well, that can't be right. You, you, I, yeah, really. Right. You, you, Jesus, you're a God of love. You mean love everyone else. 
You mean, you mean uh, have compassion for everyone else. You mean to um, um, serve everyone else. That's not what he says. In fact, Jesus goes off, we'll continue now, by comparison, hate everybody else. It's coming. Hate your mom. Hate your dad. Hate your wife. Hate your kids. Hate your brothers. Hate your sisters. You even got to hate yourself. You can't be my disciple if you don't do those things. Just imagine Peter and John. Uh, what the crap is that? Jesus, this isn't Jesus I know. I mean, did he forget his medication? What is going on here? This isn't, we're going to lose a following Jesus. You want a following. We're going to lose him. This is how you thin the crowd. This is how you lose the blue check mark on Instagram. This isn't good, Jesus. No one's going to be following us. The crowds are going to leave. But what they didn't understand is Jesus Jesus didn't care about the size of the crowd. You know what he cared about? Their level of commitment. That's what he cared about. So as we continue in this scripture, it's crazy. So Jesus continues in verse 27. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. He's getting more offensive. See, to a Jewish audience to tell you to carry a cross, that's basically like, hey, Grab your electric chair. <laughs> We're going. I mean, a cross is an instrument of death. And Jesus, you're telling me to like, carry that around with you? You know what they understood the invitation to be right there? It wasn't come and live for Jesus. It was come and die. That's what the invitation was. I imagine that for a church name, inviting somebody to Christmas Eve service. Hey, come to Christmas Eve service. Oh, yeah, what church you go to? Oh, come and die? Oh, you know, I think I'll go to my mom's First Baptist. They got a nice nativity scene with the wise men. Anyway, so I'm like, no, I ain't going to come and die church. That's what Jesus is telling them. Hate my kids, hate my mom, hate my dad, come and die. This is insane, Jesus. I don't get it. Jesus, in the very next verse, I'm not going to put it up because i like you to get in the word yourself, but I'll tell you what he said in a nutshell. Count the cost. Turn to your neighbor and say, count the cost. Tell your neighbor. Say, count the cost. Count the cost. Jesus is saying, there is a cost. Okay, we, we, we got to kind of just take a deep breath. Okay, because that, that was heavy stuff, Jesus, telling us to hate everybody. I mean, it's nuts. So let's just kind of digress and back up. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus, did he want a lot of people following him, yes or no? Yes, he did. Did Jesus want to, does he want to reach as many people as possible, yes or no? Yes! For God so loved the, the world. So G, the, we, he wants to reach everybody. So why are you preaching this crazy stuff that's going to repel him? That's going to drive him away? That's going to cause him to leave? I'll tell you why. Because if he, for many of them, he never had them in the first place. See, if you're not all in, eventually you'll leave anyway. You know what Jesus is saying? I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you where it's at. This is all in. Hate your family by comparison. Hate your mom. By comparison to me, this is what I'm asking. And trust me, they would leave. And, and, and Jesus, so I, I thought about this because I thought about decisions that you have to make and decisions that I have to make during the week. And sometimes during the year, we make big decisions. Here's the thing about decision making. If you have a plan B, you'll most likely take it eventually. How can I say it a different way? Too many people will resort to plan B when plan A gets too risky, too costly, or too difficult. Marriages, can we go there for a second? Like, they're hard. 
Well, marriage isn't hard. Okay, you have not been married, okay? Don't lie in church, all right? So marriage is hard. Why do most marriages end in divorce? Plan B. Well, as soon as it doesn't work out for me and you're not meeting my needs and you're not acting the way I want you to act, I'll leave the door cracked open. If the door's cracked open, you will take it. They do, we do all the time. That's why Jody and I, we got to keep our marriage fresh. And I tell her that. Even on the days that we argue and fight. And yes, as pastor and pastor's wife, sometimes we argue and I'm right and you're wrong and, and normally I'm right. But anyway, that don't matter. So, um, but you got to keep it fresh. So that's why, you know, love notes and things like that. I remember it was a while back we were fighting about something and went to bed and I woke up and there's this note on the pillow. It was so beautiful. She was already gone for work. I said, hey, sweetie, last night I wanted to smother you with my pillow, but I didn't. I thought that's beautiful. Thank you. Actually, actually, uh, Jody, I, I tell her, I said, Jody, if we're fighting, think about this. You know I'm a good guy. You married me. I'm a great guy. So, so if I'm being a jerk, you should probably ask yourself why. I mean, maybe it's something. All right, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So let's go back to the hate thing. Because you're like, Jesus says hate. Remember what he said? He said hate by comparison. Okay? So he's not literally telling them to hate anybody. That's not, a, God is a God of love. What he's saying is, by comparison to your affection for me, by comparison of your relationship with me, it needs to be, that, that's, how, that's how adamant he was that he needs to be first. Not because it, it, it's for your benefit. That's why he's saying that everything Jesus taught was for you. Even when he starts screaming the word hate, it's for you. I promise you. By comparison. Do you know what Jesus was really doing here? He's, he's giving you um, the first commandment. He's just wording it differently. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, is you shall have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. That's what Jesus, he's just wording it differently. A little different vernacular. Maybe a little more in your face. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what he's saying. So this is where, huh, actually, I, let, me, let me say something here because I, I forgot to say this, and this is huge. Because we talk, we're talking about believers that believe in Jesus, but yet they're still missing a crucial piece. Count the cost. A believer in Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, just the way I wrote it, a believer in Jesus, believing in Jesus, excuse me, believing in Jesus won't cost you anything. Surrendering to Jesus, it'll cost you something. I promise it will. In fact, I'm, I'm letting you off a little easy by saying something. Jesus would tell you it'll cost you everything. In fact, that's what he said. After he got done spewing about hate, you know what he said in verse 33? I'll give it to you. So for the third time, he says, now you cannot be my disciple. Third time he says it. You cannot be my disciple without giving up what? Everything. That's what he said. Now, now this is where people will push back, even, even theologically. Even some pastors, wait a minute, Monty, that's a disciple. We're talking about believers, you know, just salvation. Salvation is for anybody that believes, but then the people that want to go deeper, those are the followers. Those are the disciples. It's different. The Bible that I read doesn't show that. The Bible that I read, Jesus doesn't like give different degrees. Well, you, the group over here, you can believe, but still do your own thing. You don't pay a cost. You don't need to follow me. You don't need to listen to what I say. You're good to go. But you radicals over here, pastors and ministers and people that want to actually give your life away from me, you're going to follow. and You're going to be a disciple like Peter and John. It's not what Jesus said. And I'll show you this. So the main scripture in Matthew 7, if you remember, 
Many people did miracles in Jesus' name, and they cast out demons, and Jesus had said, turn from me, I never knew you. And he said, you who break God's law. And that's key that we keep that in the, in the forefront of our mind. So, let me segue to another story in the Word that Jesus is speaking. You might be familiar with it. It's a rich dude who's got a lot of money. And the, here's the guy's question. Don't miss this. This is how you know that what I'm giving you is truth. It's right out of the Word of God. Here's what the guy asked Jesus. How do I get to heaven? It's all I care about. How do I inherit, like, eternal life? That's the guy's question to Jesus. And Jesus says, he goes to the commands. And he says, okay, don't break God's law. He said, don't steal. Guy's like, all right, check. Don't lie. Guy's like, check. Don't commit adultery. Check. Right? Don't murder. Right? Check. So the guy's checking off, like, five or six commands. And, and Jesus doesn't say he didn't do it. He's like, wow, you're, good. you're a pretty good guy. And then Jesus, and I'll, I'll show you the scripture that comes next. Jesus tells him, this is Matthew 16, 21. Jesus told him, well, if you want to be perfect, hold up, Jesus. I don't, that's ridiculous. I'm not asking about being perfect. I just said, how do I get to heaven? We'll come back to that. If you want to be perfect, sell all your possessions. Give your money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then he says, and then what? And then what? Come follow me. Oh, I, I didn't know I had to follow. Uh, Jesus, I didn't ask to follow you. That, that's Andrew and Simon. They'll follow you. I, I just want heaven. And Jesus is saying, there is, I'm giving it to you. Do this and you'll have it. Follow me. Not just believe in me. Follow me. Don't miss this. And, and what does the guy do? Maybe one of the saddest scriptures in scripture. Verse 22. When the young man heard the demand of Jesus, he walked away sad for he has many possessions. I, I just need you to understand what, what we just read. This guy walks away. His, his original question, how do I get to heaven? Jesus gives him the answer, and he walks from it and embraces hell as his home. This is insane. The, he's knowingly doing this. My, I have too much stuff. I'm sorry. You're kidding me. You, you're walking away. And actually, what he's showing you is he didn't keep the commandments, did he? Remember, you who break God's law, he broke the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. You need to hate everything else by comparison to me. He didn't hate everything else. You know what he loved more than Jesus? Money. His stuff. Not because he said it, because his actions showed it. This guy, the rich young ruler, was a cultural Christian. An unsaved Christian. Cultural Christians, they want to be able to call Jesus Savior, but they cannot embrace him as Lord. They can't do it. Well, they could, but they won't. Maybe it's a better word. That was him. And every time I've read that story so many times, and every time it tugs at me a little bit because it's so impactful, but I've, I have empathy for him. And I've, I've taught this before that you almost feel bad for the guy. It's like, Jesus, you're asking for so much. You sell everything? Can't he just give 10%? I mean, that's tithing. Ain't that good enough? Can't he just set up reoccurring giving and like, Donate a camel every month? I mean, why? Why has he got to sell it all? Why does Jesus ask for it all? I'll tell you why. Because he loved him too much to ask for anything less. That's why. Unless you, unless you by, by comparison, push everything else aside and sell out to me, you won't have it. This is so crazy. We, fo we me, I focus on what I got to give up. That's me. You want me to come and go to church every week and learn about you and grow with you? 
That's Sunday. That's my day off. Oh, you want me to attend and serve? That's my entire Sunday morning? Oh, that's what I have to give up. You, oh, the offering? You want me to tithe or you want me to give? That's, I, I don't have enough for what I have. And you're asking for more? You want me to spend time getting in the Word of God? You want me to spend time going to a life group? What? Look at all that I have to give up. And we fail to realize all that Jesus gives us in return. That's so key. He gives us so much more. <laughs> and that's the main point. I got a lot of them, but this one I love. When Jesus asks you to give something up, he'll always replace it with something better. When Jesus asks you to give something up, he'll always replace it with something better. It wasn't about what the rich young ruler had to give up. It's about all that he passed up. Eternal life. You're kidding me. You would keep your stuff that's going to fade away and, and, and gain the world and lose your soul. And we'll look at that story and think, oh, that's so radical. I can't believe that he made a decision. Are you kidding me? People make that decision every day. Millions of people make that decision every day. Jesus just spells it out in the word of God for us. There's a cost, but the reward is so much greater. When we were called to leave South Dakota, it wasn't our plan. I've told you that before. We had a thriving ministry at a campus that was growing. I mean, it went from like less than 200. There's up to 900 people attending on a weekend. Just lives were changing. It was all so fruitful. All of our, all of our life was there. All of our friends were there. All of our family was there. And, and we're called to leave. And we're leaving something that's pretty good. I mean, you look at that, you're like, it's good. And God replaces it with something better. Like, we love our home now. We love Omaha. I'm still having conversations with Jesus about property taxes because I don't love those. So he's got to figure that out. I mean, I don't, he did not replace that with something better yet, but he will. So, but, but, so we, we, we move here. We meet you. We launch Meadows, a new ministry, reaching so many people. But we, if it was up to us, we would have never done it. You're going to leave something good, and I'll replace it with something better a ministry, a church, our kids and their relationships with new people. It's absolutely incredible. So then we plant the church, and then you know what God says? You're, you're going to keep, you're going to keep, there's a cost to be a church. You're going to invest money in other churches. It ain't, it ain't just about Meadows Church. God was so clear. The scripture is so clear. Every church in the word of God is a church planting church. If they don't plant churches, Meadows never exists. The church never makes it to the Western world. So God's like, you're going to plant churches. That means you'll probably never be a megachurch. You'll probably never be some pastor that's going to be, oh, look at me. You're going you're gonna to launch people. You're going to give money away. You're going to give people away. But I'll replace it with something better. I'll bring in new people, and I'll bring in new funds, and you have to trust that I'll do that. So we launch in Bennington and Crossover's meeting as we speak, and we're going to be launching in Bellevue next year, and then after that, other places. But, but we have to trust God, and it's not easy. I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I'm telling you, I had a conversation with a pastor this week, and, and they're a church planting church too. And he's, so I get to lead some pastors. And he said, and they're planting communities, a little bit smaller house churches. And he says, uh, we launched out two communities. And he goes, it's so, he goes, it's so hard. And I said, that's amazing. So they're going to be reaching people in other areas of, of where they live. And he says, but I want to bring them back because uh, we miss the family. We miss being together. And I said, dude, that's part of the pain. That's part of the cost. That, that's the way it is. You know, Paul, you read scriptures, Paul laments about, pe about, about people that he wants to see again. He'll never see and I'll never meet you. And they're crying and they're saying goodbye. But that's part of the cost, I told him. There's a cost, but the reward is greater. So after the 11 o'clock service last week, 
a guy comes up to me after the service, and here's what he says, because he's really counting the cost of this whole Christianity thing. And he says, Pastor, how, how did you know? Like, you talked about believing in Jesus all your life. How did you know when you went from being a cultural Christian to a biblical Christian? And I sat there and I thought about it. And, and, and I told him the story of like, like when I was sitting in church that day. And, and, and I, I was just unpacked it for him. I said, when I sat in church that day and, and, and I stood up with no one else was standing and, and my Bible fell off my lap. And I said, I looked up. And I, I looked up in the ceiling of the church and there, I mean, there was like this angelic presence hovering right there, like a bright light. And it's like coming down, it's coming down. And it's like the angel reaches out. I reach out and I touch the angel. I'm just kidding. That, none of that happened. You're like, what? No, that's not how it went down. Nothing like that. But it sounded better. So how, the, the, the standing up and Bible falling uh, off my lap was correct. No, no angelic presence. Just me and the Holy Spirit I could not see or feel. And I said, I'll give my life to this. And here's the difference. I told this gentleman, I said, here, I didn't know in the moment. Oh, I'm, I just became a biblical. I had no idea. I was like, I was different. Like the next day, I, on that Monday morning, I called the church. I said, I got to do something. There's something I'm supposed to do. I don't know what. So I went in and talked to a pastor, and then I started serving in the church, and I, and I, and I never stopped. I had never done that before. I give my life, I believed in Jesus all my life, but, but it was never about how can I be a part? How can I serve others? How can I love? How can I give more? It was never that. It was always still about me, and, and that was the answer, and that's why it hit me so hard. Here's what it was. A cultural Christian, here's how you know. It's still about you. It's still about your wants and your needs and your job and your busyness and your career and your retirement and your finances and your kids and your family and your wife or your husband. It's all about you. It doesn't look selfish because that's how most people live. We're going to take care of our family. We're going to do this thing. The, The way I knew is it was no longer about me. And that's what I told him. A biblical Christian, it's all about Jesus. It is. That doesn't mean full-time ministry. It doesn't mean selling everything you own and moving to Africa. I mean, if God tells you to do that, do it. But it doesn't mean that. It just means it's all about Jesus. My kids, they're his now, but I have to raise them according to what he says. My wife or husband, I have to love them the way Jesus tells me to love them. I don't have to serve. I'm called to serve. I don't have to give. I get to give. This is the difference. I just want to spell it out. This is my story. I've always believed in Jesus. I'm telling you, if I died at 25, I'd be in hell. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I, I, I always like to phrase things differently. So a cultural Christian, you're calling the shots. A biblical Christian, Jesus is calling the shots. So you're getting it. So the, the, the issue, here's the big issue. The big issue in our world today is not atheism or, or all the people that don't believe in Jesus The issue today is all the people that believe in Jesus, but they haven't surrendered their life to him. That's the See, you have to choose. You can either follow the word or the world. You can't pick both. I've tried. It's horrible. You can't do it. Eventually, you got to pick one. That's what Jesus said. Count the cost. You want to follow the word of God? Count the cost. And I hope you do it. And Jesus says, I'm convinced if you'll count the cost and look at scripture, you'll run to me. You'll run in my arms. We'll do it together. I will reward you. I'll bless you. I'll blow your doors off. It won't look like you thought it would. It'll look better. That's what Jesus says. We all want the miracle of Jesus. I do. You do. We just don't want the message of Jesus. Certainly this one. Like, I want the loving Jesus. 
I want good Samaritan Jesus. I want a hug me Jesus, tickle me Jesus. Oh, that's the Jesus I want. That could be a good gift. Tickle me. So, but I don't, want, I don't want the hate your mom Jesus, hate your dad. I don't like that Jesus. We don't want that. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the message, even though you hear the word hate, it is a message of love, I promise you. It is packed full. So as we close the series, I prayed hard about, I can't change a heart. People tried to change mine in drug addiction. They couldn't do it. It had to, it had to be God. Followers of Jesus will experience rejection, trials, pain, suffering, sacrifice. And if you're not experiencing any of that, you're, you're probably not following Jesus. It, it comes with the territory There's no way to follow Jesus without him interfering with your life. That's, that's maybe the best way I could say it. How has he interfered with your life? I, 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 I'm asking. Like, like what is the cost? What does following Jesus cost you? Anything? Remember, he'll always replace it with something better. We focus on the cost and what we give up. We fail to, we fail to realize all that we get. He missed it. The rich guy missed it. What does following Jesus cost you? You should write it down if you have an answer. And if you don't, let's, let's go to God and what, watch what he does today. I'll give you a preview for next week's series on the Christmas series. The gifts of Christmas, we're talking about the gifts that the wise men bring Jesus. What's crazy about that story? Those wise men that don't belong in the nativity scene? What's crazy about that story? These guys aren't godly guys. I mean, at least... By tradition, they shouldn't be. They're astrologers, worshiping maybe the stars. They're not Jewish men. But yet, in the story, what you'll find is these guys get on their camels, and it's probably not just three. I mean, there's probably a caravan of them. I'll explain that next week. But as they're traveling, they're putting their lives in danger. They're carrying gifts that are worth a lot of money. They're, they're probably taking nine months to trek 900 miles from maybe Persia to um, Bethlehem. That's a sacrifice. That's a cost. Why would they put their, themselves in harm's way and then give up all their treasures to a toddler? What are they doing? Why would they do that? See, God's doing something in their heart. That's how you know. You know by what they're doing and what they're going. They're, they're willing to pay a price, and they pay it. I cannot wait till next week. You have to invite. I promise it's going to be amazing because God is amazing. Count the cost. There's two areas. Uh, I'll, give me a second. I'll get right back to that. Let's do a little, a little uh, make-believe, you and I, together. If you have kids, it won't be a make-believe for you because it involves you having a kid. So your child, say 10 years old, is sick. It's terminal. Your child's going to die. But there's something you can do. You can, you can count the cost and pay a price. And if you pay enough, there will be something that can help rescue your child from death so your child can live to be 80, 90 years old. What would you do? I bet you'd do the same thing I would do. You'd, you'd start selling off 401Ks and your Roth IRA, and you'd maybe take a different job, move to a different city if it meant making more money or whatever. You'd downsize, get rid of the four-bedroom and go to a two-bedroom. Heck, you'd, I, I'd get rid of a two-bedroom if that meant this is what it's going to put it over the edge and get the remedy to go to a, living in an apartment or a tent. You would do whatever it takes. Again, this is a real child, your child. What, where would you stop paying the price? Where would you count the cost and say, nope, 
401k, I need that to retire. Sorry. My kid's going to have to die. You wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't. I wouldn't either. Kidding me? I'd do whatever it takes for my kid. Whatever. I'd pay any price just like you would. Unless you hate your kid. Unless you hate your mom. Unless you hate your dad. By comparison. What is the king telling us? Sell out. I will offer you so much more. We'll sell out for worldly things all day long. We love our family. We love our kids. And we should. But why would we neglect what Jesus is saying? He loves your kids more than you ever will. He can take care of them better than you ever could if you will let him direct your life and guide it. It's really about idolatry. I will have no other gods before me. Not because I'm a demanding, uh, demanding um, uh, authoritative God that commands you. I see a loving God. He wants you to because he has so much for you. The two top things I've seen as a pastor being in ministry for over 10 years, full-time ministry, family and money. People put those before God all the time. I have a lot, most of my life. It might be something different for you, but I just want to end in something practical. For most people, it would be a spouse they're putting before Jesus or um, certainly a child, certainly. Or money that they won't give up because that's mine, not God's. So here's the application. What if today, maybe you're putting your family before Jesus, your spouse, your kids, yourself. Remember Jesus said, hate yourself. That's what he said. By comparison, your love for me. I'll have no other gods before me. I'm a jealous God. And you should be excited about that. Because when you embrace me and I embrace you, I will rock your family. I will rock your world. I'll take you to places that you can't go otherwise. So, Ava, Jake's been going to church since he's a baby. Ava's been going to church since two years old, but when I got clean, and, and our, our kids are in church every week, not because they're pastor's kids, but because we just are sold out to the kids' ministry, and we're sold out to Jesus. They'll go to youth every Wednesday. It's non-negotiable. They don't say, oh, I'm not going to. They know. It's just what we do. They both got jobs this year, and they tithe. I don't have to force them. I don't have to, I don't have to yell at them about it. They do it. They're like, that's all I've been taught. That's what we do. Uh, trust me, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I am, <laughs> there's many stories that would probably cause you to run from this church. So, so I'm not father of the year. Trust, they'll tell you that. But I just, I want to give you practical applications where you can start putting your family, Christ before your family, or before your money. Next week, the year in faith offering, that's an opportunity to say, God, I trust you in this area. The amount of money doesn't matter. It doesn't. That's between you and God. Maybe you've never given. Maybe you're going to give for the first time. Maybe you're going to become consistent. Maybe you're going to tithe for the first time. Maybe you're going to give above and beyond. I want to share something with you about the year in faith offering. We've been praying for two years for property and land. Church plant, we, haven't, we rent. It's okay. I'll rent for the rest of my life if God wants it. I don't care. I'm not investing in a big mortgage. I won't do it. I won't do it. So it's going to come from somebody, and, and it's not going to be from tithes and offerings. I don't want it. And I pray to God for the last two years. This place has fell through two times it was sold all this. And now it's still available. It's like, God, you're, it's like you're doing something. And he said, Monty, everything you have, you, everything you need, you have in the church. I'm like, okay, I'll put it out there. He said, through those people or the people they're connected to, you have everything you need. I believe what God is saying is there are people that, maybe it's you or people you know, you can give big. 
and I'm talking six, seven figure big. It won't be most people. It won't be most of us. But there are some. You may be watching online, and this is your church home. You've been watching online. It could be you. I'm just telling you, I don't want nothing before Jesus. And if you think it's about money, you, I wish you'd take me to lunch. You'd have to buy, but uh, you take me to lunch. And you, I, if you heard my heart, you'd know. I'll set up and tear down. If we get kicked out of here someday and we have to go back to a, I'll do it for the rest of my life until God calls me home. I don't care. I want to use money to value people and raise people up and love people and reach people for Jesus. I want you sold out to the king. Jesus invites you to, to follow him today, not just to believe in him. That's the easy part. Following is where the cost comes in, and it's a beautiful cost that you will gladly pay when you understand his love for you. He invites misfits and rejects like me, people that don't have their life together, probably like you, and he invites us, but he says there's a cost. The gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. I'm not saying you have to pay for salvation. I'm just saying when you truly have salvation, you will understand that it's not about you anymore. It's all about Jesus. That's what it means, and most people are living for self. Most are whether they're sitting in a church right now or not. So I'll close with the gospel because that's a good way to close. Are you like me? You know of Christianity. You've been through the motions. You've gone to church. You pray some prayers once in a while. You celebrate Christmas. But if you look at your day-to-day life and what you do after church and what you do this afternoon or tonight or Monday after, after school or after work, what you do, is that really about all about Jesus or is it 95% about you, and then we'll sprinkle in some Jesus here and there, throw up a quote on YouTube or on uh, Instagram or something. That was me. That's not Christianity. I love you so much, I want you to know the truth, and so does Jesus. Christianity, are are you a Christian but not in Christ? That means you're not a Christian. The good news of Jesus, let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not just church attendance. That's not what it is. I believe that when you do have the Holy Spirit in you, you will be compelled to run to the bride of Christ. But, it, but the gospel is not church attendance. It's not about being a good person. None of us are. It's not about just believing in God. A lot of people believe in God. They'll never see him face to face. It's not about family heritage. It's not about Christian tradition. It's not about praying a certain prayer. It is about you and I being dead in our sin, in our mess, and God sending Jesus to save us and set us free. That's what it's about. By faith that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Savior of the world. He didn't stay a baby in a cradle. He grew up and was nailed to a cross to take away our punishment. We deserve death and hell. That's what we deserve. The default isn't heaven. The default is hell. But when you embrace Jesus, you call on his name. Believe in the the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Confucius didn't do that. Buddha didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. One, One man brought himself back to life. I would sell out to that. Sell out. Are you putting your family, yourself, your money, whatever, before God, before Christ? It can change today. Surrender everything. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. The last, t- the last thing I told the gentleman last week, and I maybe have said this from the stage before, but it's just how I think. When it comes to money, when it comes to my family, when it comes to moving, relocating, changing jobs, taking a pay, de- you don't get a pay increase becoming full-time ministry. You take a, at least where I, I worked at a job for 16 years, it wasn't an increase to go to ministry. That's okay. I don't care. I, it's all God's. 
I told him, I said, how in the world can I stand in the shadow of a bloodstained cross and not give God everything? He loves you. He loves you. Sell out. Share, this, share these messages with people that you think might be cultural Christians and save them. There's so many. It's most people. I don't want it to be Meadows people. It's all I got control over right now. It was me all my life. It could be you. Father, in the name of Jesus, this series has been in my heart since I've been 10 years old. I could not believe when you said most people choose a pathway to hell. But that means we have a choice, and that's a beautiful thing, that you're not some dictarian, but you are a, a, a beautiful, loving jealous for us God that says I'll let you choose pick me first you say it'll be opposite of what the world says it'll look different you'll, you'll, you'll start to look differently you'll start to act differently you'll start to talk differently you'll start to love differently you'll start to give differently but that's what I've called you to be there isn't different sections I'm going to believe in Jesus it, that would make zero sense believe in me but don't worry about following me that is a lie you called the, the ruler. He wanted heaven. You told him, follow me. You told him, have no other gods before me. His God was his money, so that's why you went there. Because you loved him that much. What's our God? What do we put before you, God? And how can we change it today to get about your business and let you impact us and change us? Thank you for the, thank you for the cross, but we thank you that it doesn't end there. For three days later, a man, he took a blood-stained cross and he turned it into an empty tomb. And church, I will tell you, if a man can do that, he can take what's dead inside of you and bring it back to life. In Jesus' name I pray and the church says, amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for watching today, but don't stop there. I want to invite you to like or subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single video, update, or message. But not only that, share this message with a friend. I mean, there are so many people out there hurting, struggling, and you have the ability to make an impact in their life. And finally, if, you're, if you live in the Omaha area, I want to encourage you, come join us on a weekend service. We would love, love to meet you. God bless you.